so that prayer meeting tonight is 5.30 to 6.30, so uh, 5.30 to 6.30. So you may or may not have thought about uh, the year 2020 yet, but as you anticipate that, uh, can you think of one thing, one specific thing that you are just convinced you, want, you need God to do in your life next year? You'd be so satisfied if you get to the end of next year and you say, God, you, you came through for me. You know, the things that we want God to do, we're, we're told to, to seek. And so we're not to be passive. And so I would like to invite you to join the rest of the church family by beginning uh, 2020 with uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's something we're going to do as a, as a church, really, to kind of set the pace for 2020. And it's not as scary as you might think. Uh, here's the, the basic outline is we're going to take four, four Sundays in, in January to teach on uh, seeking God through prayer and fasting. There will be a, an individual component to it. We'll provide a prayer guide for you with suggested prayer, prayer topics. Uh, you'll pray about the thing that you really want to see God do in your life, but also some corporate prayer requests. Uh, we'll have some teaching on seeking God through prayer and fasting. And there's a variety of different ways you can fast. So we'll encourage you to choose a, a type of fasting that really works for you. And then there'll be a corporate component. Uh, we'll have, we may have some whole church times of praying, but we'll have, we hope to have uh, places uh, around the city where you can pray at different times of day. And so you might, you might uh, pick a couple of those during the week. But uh, our, our goal here is not to be heroic. We're not trying to prove anything. Uh, we're, not, uh, we're not trying to impress anybody. Uh, we're simply taking God up on this, this command. Those that ask, receive. Those that seek, find. Those that knock, the door is open. And so this is just a, a simple way that we as a church want to uh, set the pace for next year by seeking Him. Some of you are probably going to leave here this week, and you'll be gone for a month. Some of you students, maybe others are traveling. So two things I'd ask you to do. If you don't get the, the e-blast, check the box on the back of the connection card, and uh, you will get a, an e-blast on Tuesday mornings, and it will give you more details about this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Second thing I would ask you to do is check your email, uh, because that's, what, that's how you'll find out about this. Some people check once a year. And so you'll get the details. It'll be well underway by the time you get back. So that'll be January, January 6th through the 26th. <clears throat> I think we'd all agree that spending time with family can be challenging during the Christmas season, even if your family is basically healthy. And uh, time with family can be challenging for a variety of different reasons. Uh, so our family, for example, gener generally speaking, we love our family. We have a great time. Brenda and I enjoy our son, our two daughters, and their husbands. We really enjoy our grandbaby in small doses. And so we, we have a great time whenever we get together. However, I can think back about four years ago, uh, we, had this, we were spending this week together, and everything was great until the night when we decided to have a game night. And it was good for a while, but somehow we got so competitive, we just had to quit. I mean, it went from wonderful, chill, calm, to so intense, and it actually turned kind of ugly. I don't know how that happened. 
Uh, or, for example, when I go home, I've got three brothers, and whenever I go home, for some reason, we always revert back to high school, and we treat each other the way we did in high school. So I'm the three out of four, and we still call our, my younger brother the chosen one, and we still make jokes about how he's mom's favorite, and he really is, but we, <laughs> we laugh about it. And I'm, I'm the second favorite, so it's not bad. It's not a bad deal. But So we laugh about it, but in some families, that type of thing is not funny. Uh, some families have unresolved conflicts. You may have unresolved conflicts in your families. And uh, when you're with family, it's kind of the proverbial elephant in the room. You know, you're nice to each other for a period of time, but eventually you're kind of like, yeah, we're just faking it here. We, we, really, we really aren't what we should be. Or sometimes family is challenging because different family members are in different places spiritually. You may have been away from your home for a period of time at school or work, and you may have either come to faith in Christ, you may have deepened your faith in Christ, and you go back home and you have convictions that the rest of your family does not share. Or it may be that you're the one that, that has fallen behind and the rest of your family is seeking God and they're fervent in different ways. And uh, you're the one that's out of place. Jesus anticipated this. He actually said, I came to bring a sword in family relationships. Not that that's his ultimate goal, but it's just the, it's just the unavoidable uh, byproduct when you have different people at different places in their, their walk with, with God. And so for a variety of reasons, instead of joy and encouragement, when you go home or when you're with family, it can be a tough time. It can be stressful. And, uh, and so, uh, whether you anticipate your time with family being challenging or not, I want to talk about a perspective that all of us, every single one of us, can take into our family interactions. And uh, if you're not able to be with family this Christmas season, that can be a painful thing. Uh, but what we're going to talk about today, you can apply to uh, friendships and other, other gatherings that you're a part of. As you know, you and I cannot control family dynamics. We cannot control our siblings, our parents, our cousins, our uncles. We, we can't control other people. And so what Scripture urges us to do is to be responsible for ourselves by His grace. Be responsible for who we are, how we think, act, and speak uh, when we're around our family members. So we're going to look at a perspective to guide our family relationships. And we're going to study a passage that actually has the potential to set our expectation for family interactions this season. We've been taking uh, what we hope is an honest look at several issues that are important that we all wrestle with. And so the first week we talked about expectations. Last week we talked about gift giving. We'll talk about family this week. Next week, Brian will teach on grief. But in Galatians 5, Paul challenges believers to allow the Spirit to produce those qualities in our lives that lead to health and wholeness, especially when it comes to relationships. And this is possible because of the core promise of Scripture that we talked about the first week. God said, the angel told Mary, you're going to have a child. This child will, will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so during his time on earth, Jesus was God in the flesh. If you were with Jesus, you were with God. 
Now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He gives the Spirit, He gives the Holy Spirit to all who believe. And so the Spirit within us is God with us. And uh, this very Spirit can help us avoid the deeds of the flesh. And we're going to look at those, and they cause turmoil and chaos in family. And the Spirit can produce the fruit of the Spirit, which brings wholeness and life. So we'll look at Galatians 5, but before we do, I just want to acknowledge that some of you may be dealing with family dynamics that are more extreme than those we're going to discuss here today. And so uh, if you have been the victim of physical abuse, violence, or sexual abuse, uh, going back and being with family, it may not be uh, advisable, it may not be safe. And uh, that's an extreme situation, but it, unfortunately, it's fairly common. And if that's the case for you, just, just know that our heart goes out to you. Family should be the safest place. It should be the most life-giving place in our whole world. And uh, when it's not, uh, that is tough. That is tough. And so we trust that God will give you the grace that you need this year. Galatians 5 gives us hope uh, even when family dynamics are difficult. We can experience God with us. In Ephesians 5, 16 through 21, Paul gives a sober assessment of the deeds of the flesh. And throughout Scripture, we're we're told that there are basically two ways of living our lives. There are two paths, two roads. Uh, So the book of Proverbs talk about the path of wisdom that leads to life and the path of foolishness that leads to death. Uh, Jesus talked about the narrow road that leads to life and the broad road that leads to destruction. Uh, Here Paul makes a contrast between uh, the path of the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, versus walking by the flesh. And when Paul mentions the, the, the flesh, he's not referring to our physical bodies. The flesh affects our bodies, but he's referring to that immaterial part of us that craves sin, that part of us that does not and will not submit to God. Uh, you may have heard me describe it this way. I think of it like the ruts on a dirt road. And so when you put the truck on that road, the tires just go in the ruts, and that's where you're going to go. In the same way, over time, uh, sin gets habituated in our thinking and in our bodies. And when we're in a certain situation, the most natural thing is for us to sin in the same ways that we have over and over again. And so unless, unless that, that habit, that pattern is interrupted, uh, we're going we're gonna to just manifest the same deeds of the flesh that we always have. And this is especially true in family because we have so many experiences that have formed the way we think and feel about each other. The habits of flesh in the family are, are sometimes like very deep ruts. I've had people tell me, they say, when I go home, I, just, I can just feel it. I, I am tempted in the same ways that I was 10 years ago. Or when I'm in a certain place, it just all comes back, and it's, it's these habits of the flesh. And here's Paul's challenge, and, and it's his encouragement. In verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
And to walk by the Spirit is to invite and allow the Holy Spirit to be the controlling influence in our lives. Instead of being dominated by the flesh, we're actually empowered and we're actually prompted by the Spirit. And so we submit to God and His will and we seek His will through the Word and prayer and spiritual conversations. And, and Paul says that when we submit to the Spirit in that way, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And so uh, instead of the flesh controlling our lives, the Spirit is the controlling influence. And then in verse 17, Paul says something that, that is very significant. And this is something we have to get. We have to believe. It's very simple. But he says that the, the flesh and the Spirit are fundamentally opposed to one another. They never cooperate. They never play nice. And so we have to understand that. He says in verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire. Literally, the flesh lusts against the Spirit. And the Spirit is just as, a, is just as strongly is against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that, if you live by the flesh, you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so the Spirit just desperately wants us to carry out the will of God. And we'll talk about that later in the fruit of the Spirit. The flesh equally is equally passionate about us being self-centered, selfish people. And so we need to understand that the two oppose each other. They're never going to cooperate. Your spirit, your, your flesh is never going to encourage you to do the will of God. And so if we walk by the Spirit, we escape the power of the flesh and the power of the law, which Paul has argued itself had no power over the flesh. So what's Paul talking about? How do we even identify it? Well, here we go. Look at verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Whenever you see these, you know that's the flesh. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to question. This is the, these are the deeds of the flesh, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, present tense, just as I have forewarned you, past tense, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so there's these 15 deeds of the flesh. And it's interesting, people categorize them in different ways. I think John Stott's categorization is very helpful. He says that the first three are sexual sins. So you've got immorality, impurity, and sensuality. The next two are religious sins, uh, idolatry and sorcery. And the next eight, and this is what we'll really focus on, uh, they're social or relational sins. He mentions enmities. If you have enmity with, some, with another person, you, are, you, are, you have an enemy. And so there's a, a, a adversarial relationship, strife which is, can be translated quarreling. Uh, there's jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. The final two are drinking or partying sins, drunkenness, and carousing. And then Paul throws in, and such things like these. So this list is not exhaustive. It's representative of the types of things that the flesh produces 
in our lives. And the warning of verse 21 is a serious one. He comments that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's, that should get our attention, okay? And I think what he's saying there, it's just consistent with the entire flow of Scripture that if you are a, a believer in Jesus, you are born from above, you, you become a new creature in Christ, God puts His Spirit within you, and over time, you progressively become more and more like Christ. You can't read the rest of the New Testament and say, is he saying that if you commit any of these sins, you're out? No, Scripture does not teach that. Uh, there's forgiveness. There is grace. Uh, but it's, it's kind of the perspective that if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, in other words, if you want to eventually end up in the place where God reigns over everyone and everything, you will also have this desire to have God reign in your life here and now. And again, it doesn't happen perfectly, it doesn't happen automatically, but that's your impulse. You want it, and when you sin, you, you, you have this lifestyle of repentance. And so you, you are eager for God to reign in your life in all the ways that, that we're talking about here today. And so by way of application, ask yourself this question, which of these deeds of the flesh do I especially need to avoid in the context of my family? Uh, which, is the mo which of these are the most relevant? As you think about your family, which deeds of the flesh tend to manifest themselves? Which ones do you need to be especially sober-minded about this year? And so you can ask the question, what tends to poison my family gatherings, my time with family? And so it could be any number of things. It could be uh, one-upsmanship. This is something Ratliff brothers struggle with. So one person says, this is what I did this past year. This is what I experienced. And somebody else is very quick to say, well, you did that, I did this, and did something that's far superior. And then that causes bitterness and resentment, and you don't care about me, you don't, you don't appreciate me, and all these things. And it can turn into sarcasm and all these other, these other fruit uh, or deeds of the flesh. And so it's good to anticipate these things. What is it that you need to be especially sober-minded about? And I, I appreciate this category, deeds of the flesh, because we can label things and we can know my flesh wants to produce this, but the Spirit wants to, to produce something else. The Spirit actively opposes the deeds of the flesh. So we talk about the deeds of the flesh. Next, we see a motivating vision for the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23. These are the things that the Spirit wants to produce in us if we allow him to. And, and again, Paul said the Spirit eagerly desires these things. And so the Spirit is not reluctant. The Spirit is not stingy. The Spirit wants to produce these things in your life, first of all, for your satisfaction, but also for the benefit of the people you're in relationship with. Here's the qualities. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Can you imagine if everybody you gathered with this Christmas was full of love, joy, peace, 
right? Kindness, self-control. That would be pretty sweet. These are the things. Of course, you can't control other people. We're responsible for ourselves in this way. But the Holy Spirit, who is God with us, wants, to, want us to, wants us to exhibit these qualities. And so we don't have time to discuss all nine of these, but I'll just highlight four or five of them, give a brief description as well as what it might look like in the context of family. But again, just as you identify deeds of the flesh to avoid, I'd encourage you to try to identify fruit of the Spirit, specific aspects of that fruit that God might want to produce in your life. The first one he mentions is, is love, and that's kind of an umbrella virtue. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, love is patient. That shows up on this list. Love is kind. And so if you're loving, some of these other virtues fall into place. But it was a natural place for Paul to begin because earlier in the chapter, he wrote that if you love your neighbor as yourself, you actually fulfill the law. Uh, people told Paul his day, it's very dangerous to say you're free from the law because if you tell people that, they're just going to go crazy. They're going to misbehave with reckless abandon. But Paul says, no, if you actually keep in step with the Spirit, you're going to fulfill the true intent of the law. And so love is foundational because God is love. And God's love is a sacrificial commitment to our well-being. And so if we love other people, if we imitate him, we will also have this commitment, this sacrificial commitment to their well-being. And so think of the person in your family that is, uh, is hardest to love. And it might be due to past conflict. There might have been harsh words that have been exchanged. Uh, that may be the very person that God wants to show love to through you. He produces this fruit in your life, and then you show the love of God to that person. And remember that, that God is with you. We're not suggesting that you just kind of screw up all the willpower you have and grit your teeth and be nice to people, even though inwardly you secretly despise them. No, we're talking about on a heart level. No, your heart goes out to them, just like God's heart has gone out to you. And you love them with the love of Christ sacrificially. The Spirit wants to empower you even to love your enemies. And uh, as you may know, we're, we're producing this, this uh, devotional guide each week. Pick this up. One of the days is devoted to loving your enemies. And this will help you go deeper and farther in the things we're talking about here today. Patience. Uh, the King James Version translated this long suffering. In this world, people will cause you to suffer. Uh, in the new heaven and the new earth, we won't need patience because there won't be suffering in that place. But in this world, the things people say and do, uh, you, you need a long fuse as opposed to a short fuse. If you're long suffering, it takes a lot to, to make you blow your top or however you want to say it. But uh, the spirit desires to give us patience. The, the flesh desires that we get angry and frustrated and we express that in different ways. Some people do blow up other people. It's the silent treatment or with withdrawal or sarcasm or body language. It can be expressed a lot of different ways. But granted, some people are naturally more patient than others. I happen to be married to one of those people. It, it, it's, it takes, um, she, Brenda, almost never gets her feathers ruffled. She's just steady, steady. 
you say, you might say, that's not me. I'm not that person. And you may give yourself a pass, especially in family. Uh, you may say, it's just not who I am. And, and everybody that gets angry, everybody that gets frustrated can justify it. Well, the reason I'm angry is because you did this to me. Well, biblically, Paul would say, love is not provoked. Love doesn't have these outbursts of anger. So if I tend to get angry at you, that means I have a deficiency in love. I have a deficiency in what the Spirit wants to produce in my life. And so I can guarantee you that sometime over the holidays, you and I are going to be tempted to be frustrated or angry with others. But one of the best gifts that we can give to our families this year is patience. And the Spirit desires this. Again, this isn't just us, just, just by sheer willpower. The Spirit desires this. Think about kindness and goodness. Those are often used as synonyms in the New Testament. And we're told that God is kind and that God is good. And so as with the rest of these virtues, a person is godly or Christ-like by showing kindness and goodness to others. And uh, God's kindness is very similar to his mercy because he, he loved us so dearly. He lavished his blessing upon us instead of giving us what we deserve. And so you might uh, decide ahead of time. And so kindness, for example, can be spontaneous and it should be spontaneous. But you and I can decide ahead of time. Maybe there's a family member, a certain family member that God especially wants to know his kindness. As I thought about it this past week, I realized that I, I tend to be fairly passive toward a couple family members. I'm not particularly unkind, but I'm not really kind. We just kind of occupy the same space when, when we're together. But uh, God has kind of given me a vision and kind of put it on my, my heart that uh, when we are together, uh, I am composing some very tender, kind things uh, to say, especially to one family member that I just never get around to saying. I don't want to go to my grave wishing I had said things in the past. And so I have a feeling that, that God wants this person to be powerfully encouraged by this word of kindness. And so again, kindness should be spontaneous, but it can also be very intentional where we ahead of time purpose, God, by your grace, here's an expression of kindness. Well, lastly, I'll mention uh, self-control. And uh, self-control is simply the capacity to control ourselves. By God's power, we actually control ourselves. What we think, what we speak, and what we say, the opposite would be to be out of control, right? And uh, the idea here is that the Spirit himself wants to give us this, compa this capacity. And if you're like me, you have walked away from family interactions with this thought, I wish I didn't say the first thing that popped into my mind, right? Uh, when we, several years ago, we went to, we were down in Mississippi, and uh, every time we leave, we play this Bob Dylan song, Mississippi, and the chorus is, the only thing that I did wrong, I stayed in Mississippi a day too long. 
And that's what normally happens. It builds up. Anyway, my relationship with one family member who remained unnamed, uh, it, it got more and more tense over the, over the days. And uh, we were at a meal, we were at a family meal. And somebody asked a question and I said, why don't you ask him? He knows everything. <laughs> and as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh, did I really say that out loud? And I was obviously <laughs> thinking it. And it was very painful to this person. And so self-control can preempt that, okay? And uh, Psalm 141.3 is a great prayer. David said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The Spirit wants to give us self-control to where we, we do and say the very best things that God wants us to. And so ask yourself this question, which of these virtues should I trust the Spirit to produce in my life in relation to family? And once you identify that virtue, spend some time seeking God and prepare yourself to walk by the Spirit. And we do that in at least three ways. We do it uh, through prayer. Uh, sometimes we never get around to praying for the virtues that we need. We lament that we're not more patient or more, we don't have more self-control. But do we ever get around to admitting, God, I lack this, or confessing some sin, just admitting to him and pleading with him, God, would you give this to me in my life for my sake and for the sake of the people around me? And so you invite the Holy Spirit to empower you. And then involves prayer, but also reflection. And by that, I mean, thinking, I mean thinking deeply about the scriptures. Could be this passage we're looking at today. Could be scriptures in the, the devotional guide. You may, know, you may look up other scriptures related to the specific virtue you want to pursue or the, the deed of the flesh you want to avoid. But you think deeply about it and you anticipate, God, this is how I need to live this out or avoid this in my family. And then we respond. And so if we're praying and thinking deeply, now we're in a position to walk into our family relationships in the power of the Spirit. And if we've prepared, we'll have a sensitivity to the Spirit. We'll recognize, ah, this is a chance to have a sacrificial commitment to this other person's well-being. Instead of saying the first selfish thing that comes to my mind, this is a chance to give and be like God and we pay attention to the prompting and the working of the Spirit in our lives. And so God's Word is so insightful, and I hope that this, is, this has been helpful. But you may have noticed that nothing I've said today, nothing I've urged you to do, changes the people you're going to gather with. That's their responsibility. Our responsibility is to pay attention to ourself and the working of the Spirit in our lives. In Romans 12, Paul actually said, if possible, it's not always possible, as far as it depends upon you, it doesn't all depend upon you, but if possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. And so that's our calling. That, that's our responsibility. And if we do that, we can wake up at uh, the 26th or whenever you're, you're done with family with a sense of satisfaction, God, by your grace, I've been the person you've called me to be. And there, there's great satisfaction in that. And so, God, we pray and we ask you to empower us. We pray, God, that you would, would lead us. We pray, God, that we would be people who seek you fervently and we're mindful 
that you are with us and that you want to empower us. We're not alone. We're not left to our own, uh, our own ingenuity, our own power, but God, the very Spirit himself wants to empower us. So encourage those that are faint-hearted here today, those that are in especially tough situations, pray that you would give them hope, give them uh, this vision that comes from your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.